Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Hi, friends. Thanks for coming. Uh, my name is Sonny Patterson, and it's November the 6th, 2015, and I just wanted to share with you about a wonderful mushroom that I've been learning about, and uh, it's called the Shega, and it's the king of the medicinal mushrooms. So um, this gentleman that I'm going to introduce you to, his name is David Wolf, presents Shega king of the medicinal mushrooms. So, please enjoy. That's the future. That's where we're going. That's the that is the destiny 
non-local immune system because we don't, our immune system doesn't really have a location like our lungs have or our heart has or kidneys have. It, it's everywhere. And when you feed your immune system, then you become more capable, I believe, of not only detoxing yourself. 50% of detoxification is your immune system. It's white blood cells. But you also become capable of dealing with, with the crises that we see today, immunological crises, uh, the most advanced form of that being cancer. Now, there's a great victim in, in Western literature by Hippocrates, and we've all heard the first part of it, let food be thy medicine, but it is a two-part phrase. And the second part is equally as important as the first part. So let's just read it through. It's let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. It's both. That's interesting. What kind of medicine is food? What kind of medicine can you take every day? What kind of medicine has its history? And that's where these great tonic herbs come in, in my opinion. The great tonic herbs like astragalus and shizanderberry and nettles and shilajit and tulsi and ashwagandha and all these things that come from all around the world. Well, these medicines that can be eaten like food are not echinacea, they're not garlic, they're not oregano, and they're not thyme. Um, those are foods, and, and they're interesting foods, but they're not really medicinal in the sense that you cannot eat them every day or else they'll throw you out of balance. Garlic you can't eat every day or you're going to lose your job. People are going to start laughing it behind your back because you smell like garlic. Um, you, there, there, are, there are very few tonic herbs or super herbs that you can consume daily that continue to balance you and that, will, that are what we call dual directional. And chaga is one of them. It is one of the great tonic herbs in the world. It was in the Shennong original text that was apparently put together in China over 2,000 years ago of the top 365 herbs that were known at that time in that part of the world. And just as we've heard that maybe chaga has a great lore and legend in Siberia, it also has great lore and legend in China. It is very well known in China. And in fact, my friend Ron Teagarden, who we just did an event together this weekend, he actually told me that when he went to meet with the medical director of the Shaolin Monastery, which is an amazing organization, they gave us Zen Buddhism, they've been around for over 1,500 years, they gave us Kung Fu, they gave us tonic herbs, they basically gave us the, the core of Chinese medicine, he got to the medical director's office expecting to walk in and see a million different herbs and ginsengs and bottles and all kinds of stuff, and walked in there and saw two herbs, Rishi and Chaga, which we call the king and the queen. There's been tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of studies on Rishi mushrooms. There has not been that much research on chaga mushrooms, but chaga is considered equal, if not more powerful, than reishi mushrooms. And what I love about it is it is the, it's the spawn of a living tree, and it's a living birch tree. And birch is the super medicinal plant of the northern temperate climate of our earth. It's a, it's a plant where you can eat the leaves, you can eat the bark, you can make medicine out of the bark. Everything about that tree helps to nourish the ecosystem. I was doing some research recently after even having written this Chaga book, and it, and it was mentioned in that research that birch is actually a nitrogen fixer. So it fixates nitrogen. It develops nutrition for the forest. And coming out of that birch, maybe one out of every few thousand, you'll see a Chaga. And Chaga is black in color, which hints at two things. One, as I already mentioned, it hints at that jing energy, which generally, if one is strictly correlated over to science, we would say that that food is very high in zinc. Black foods are very high in zinc. turns out that when we did the data on Chaga, it is extraordinarily high in zinc, one of the highest things in zinc ever. It is the highest ever of anything in three alkaline minerals, therefore making it the most alkaline food ever of anything, according to the strict theory of what is alkaline. We read these books, the pH Miracle, Acid Alkaline Balance, it's alkalize or die. These books are hinting at a science of alkalinity that has to do with the mineral content of a food. 
food, or an herb. And according to that science, chaga is the highest of anything ever found in potassium, in rubidium, and in cesium. And when I say cesium, we've probably never heard about that unless it was in a radioactive context. So I'm saying a non-radioactive cesium. Hey, so David, before we... David, before we move on, uh, we have a poll. It's, we want to ask everybody if they've ever used chaga or any chaga products. So we're going to take a second and do this poll, and then um, once you guys have answered, we will actually turn it back over to David. So just one second here, we'll get started on the poll. Everybody should be clicking a yes or no and then submitting their answer. Yeah. We're actually going to do a few polls throughout this presentation. We are. We're going to do at least three. Yes, we're going we're gonna to discover some things here about our group. Brett, 90% voted. We'll give you five more seconds. I think that was five seconds. Okay. So now you can see the results. We had 62% have actually used chaga, and 38% uh, have not. Yeah, this is great. Okay, so I'm going to hide the results now, and we'll, we'll continue. Okay, great. Well, chaga is extraordinarily nutritious, as Maxim Analytics has informed me. They're an amazing lab, a billion-dollar facility in Toronto that started testing chaga samples and found me on the internet and called me in there to show me what they found and ended up contributing some really extraordinary and astonishing data to the chaga book. The mineral data being the foremost in that regard. The power of chaga goes beyond just the mineral content though. It's the highest natural source of melanin of any plant or anything, any herb in the world. And just to tell you what melanin is, melanin is Like all 
wild material and you want to dry it, you need to dry it in the sun, and the ergosterol converts over to vitamin D2. Now, vitamin D2, according to my research, is actually a little bit stronger than vitamin D3. It's a precursor form and, and is used a little bit more readily than the end form, which is vitamin D3. So it's a way of getting more vitamin D in the northern hemisphere of our planet where vitamin D deficiency is rampant. There's probably the most powerful thing in all of the forest in terms of the botanical substances uh, is in chaga. And it was first isolated in birch trees. And that substance is called betulin or betulinic acid or lupiol. And it's a pentacyclic triterpene. Whatever that means. It's a really, it's a really interesting um, molecule with five sides to it. It's a, it's a triterpene, so it's just a little bit bitter. It's going to actually be more alcohol soluble, and it has very, very powerful anti-mutagenic action. In fact, out of several thousand botanical substances researched, it's number one as an anti-mutagen. That's fascinating because here we have a tree. That's concentrating an anti-mutagen, which is which is birch. It's in the birch bark, but the shaga concentrates it even more, which I find to be interesting because there's a whole story in mushroom lore that mushrooms help to suck up mutagens in the environment in order to protect the environment from those mutagens. For example, radiation. Mushrooms will suck up radioactive fallout so that the DNA of the surrounding plants and animals is not affected because mushrooms can handle it, whereas the surrounding plants and animals may not be able to handle it. So I found that to be an interesting side to this as well. Shaga is one of the highest of anything. In fact, I think it is the very highest of anything in the world in SOD, superoxide dismutase, which is a super powerful antioxidant. And there's whole books written on SOD, and it's, it's hard to cleanse the liver, hard to cleanse the bloodstream. And here we have Shaga is just off the charts in that too. This is so interesting because out of all possibilities, just to stumble into this mushroom, it feels like, like there's a higher mind at work. That these medicines become available right when we need them. Now, in Western literature, Shaga was introduced to us by Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his 1968 book, The Cancer Ward, his semi-autobiographical work, The Cancer Ward. And in that book, he discusses the cancer ward in Siberia where political prisoners are basically left there to rot. And what goes on psychologically, emotionally, the guilt, the fears, the, all of that. And they're all hoping for a miracle, and a miracle shows up, and it's Chaga. And in fact, in fact Alexander Solzhenitsyn himself was saved from his cancer by Chaga. And that's, that's where it first kind of penetrated into the Western mind. It took many, many years for the mycological societies around North America to kind of catch on to this Siberian super mushroom. And then it took really until recently until we realized, wait a second, it's right here too. It's grown in New England. It's grown in all over Canada. It's growing in basically any, any place where birds will grow. The, um, the second thing that came up with Shaggle happened in the early 90s, and that was a big turning point in our understanding of how important chaga is, not only for us now, but also for ancient humans. And that was the moment when a couple was hiking in the Alps between Italy and Austria and saw a dead body in the ice. And so they ran back, they called the police, the police came, they pulled this body out and found that it was actually a 5,000-year-old body that had melted out of the ice, probably due to global warming. This this person, this man, who was named Oxy, the Iceman, had his complete kit intact. He had his belt, he had his pouch, he had his clothing, he had his shoes. So he was a snapshot of how humans lived in that area of the world 5,000 years ago. And he had in his belt a piece of Shaga. It's the oldest piece of Shaga known. And he used it not only as food and medicine, but also to help start fires. And that was the second thing I was going to get to earlier about Shaga, is its color, it not only indicates jing, not only indicates it's a light force enhancer and light extender, but it also indicates that it can be used for charcoal. It doesn't look like charcoal. It's a doctrine of signatures. And it's a coal extender, specifically what, what that's called in the survivalist world. And the reason why 
hole in the foamy fomentarium. Throw the hot ember of chaga in there so it's a, it's a hot ember that just you can't put out the hot piece of coal. And you can have it inside this other mushroom, and it will actually allow you to walk around with fire in your hand. And that is how humans control fire for at least 5,000 years that we know of, but 50,000 years that we suspect with two mushrooms, chaga and foamy fomentarium. The, the lore about this mushroom is, is just extraordinary. Now, what happened in recent times is we have an epidemic of cancer, and the Russians have been using chaga against cancer for since at least 1955, kind of on the books. But it's always been known to the to the folk people um, who live out in the forest in Russia as as the best thing, the best adjunctive herb to actually use if you're dealing with cancer, if you want to prevent cancer. And it's adjunctive with chemotherapy as well, because shaga sucks up radiation like a sponge. It's a tremendous anti-radiation substance. It's, there's probably nothing like it. It's unmatched in the world. There isn't anything like it. Probably the next thing that's been researched herbally would be ginseng, but ginseng's a very far second. Okay, so the um, shagas that you find are on living trees. And there was a theory before that they're a, they're a cancer of the, of the birds. But in fact, we now know that they're not. They're actually in what's called an endophytic mushroom. They live in symbiotic relationships with living birch trees and also some other trees. I found birch, I found shaga on maples. I found shaga on old apple trees. I found shaga on a hemlock. I found shaga on some pretty weird places, uh, but primarily on birch. And they're there as a as a protector. They work as a immune system enhancer. The best time to pick shaga, as we put it on the slide, is from about mid mid July to mid mid November. But if you can if you want to pick it in the dead of winter, say February or March or something, you can, but you'll probably kill the tree if you do, because the shaga freezes to the tree and would have to be cut off by a chainsaw or by an axe that would definitely damage the, the host tree. So we generally recommend that if you're gonna go out there and harvest shaga, you do it ethically and you kind of keep your, your morals intact on, on just being friendly with the forest. I, I will leave a lot of shagas in the forest. I don't pick them all. Um, the ones close to my house, I, I leave there so I can observe them over the years and see how quickly they grow, really get a handle on it. I've been observing them now six years, so I've got a pretty good handle on how quickly they grow, which is very slow. There is something very important about the way they grow, and it's important to your nutrition, and that is shaga can be sitting outside a tree, like you see on this picture here, for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. It can actually have been there for 25 years, and therefore it's a completely different animal, so to speak, than a head of lettuce, than a, a, a tomato, than an annual plant, or a product of an annual plant. Rudolf Steiner said it this way. He said that the annual plants take on the energies of the inner planet, and they have a shallower energy. The plants that are able to bark themselves over and survive through the winters and, and keep going and become perennial pick up the energies of the outer planets and even the stars themselves of the cosmos. And that's what you feel with Shaga. That's probably also what you feel when you have really good ginseng. You feel a depth of wisdom. You feel a depth of information that is very different from the kind of thing that we grew up with and the kinds of things we're supposed to take every day, for example, our, our vitamins. Shaga is actually something that probably is most doable for most of us as a tea. And it's the most wonderful tea ever if you were able to get wild chunks of shaga. And by the way, this is all explained in my book, completely explained in detail, add in some item, add nausea, not only how to make tea, but also how to make all different kinds of shaga products. And you can see this list here, how to do wild shaga, techno-grown shaga powder, hot water extracts, alcohol extracts, and everything you, you would want to know. But the thing there is, is if you make a tea, which is the easiest way to do it, you do not want to throw the material away. It, it can make 30 teas, whereas a tea bag might make one or two or three teas. It's very rich material. It's very dense material. And if you threw it away after one tea, it's a tremendous loss for everybody. It's a loss for the forest, and, and it's a loss for other people who could really use that medicine. What you do is you make your teas with it until it's completely done. It's not putting out any more melanin into the water.
but it's not really doing anything anymore. You then dish out the chunks of chaga, and you dry them, and you put them in alcohol. So you get the alcohol-soluble fraction, too. And the alcohol-soluble fraction is where the really powerful anti-mutagenic, as I mentioned, and antiviral elements are. It's in the alcohol-soluble fraction. So just eating the whole chaga may not be the best part of it or way to do it. Just doing chaga tea may not be the only or best way to do it. You might want to also add in the alcoholic extract side of chaga just to round out all the medicine that is there because the alcohol will draw out and make available the inosodiols and other compounds, triterpene compounds and betulin, betulinic acid that are alcohol-soluble and that would still be in the matrix of the fiber if you had just thrown it away or just were making tea only. Now, how safe is chaga tea? Um, my best friend had a, had a entire pregnancy where she drank chaga tea every day of her pregnancy. That's a wild food. There's very, very few wild foods you want to be eating every single day of your pregnancy. I mean, you just normally have to kind of change it up a little bit because there's alkaloids in foods and sometimes it can become toxic. We've all sensed that maybe with dandelion. If you eat too much dandelion, suddenly that bitter, milky material in the dandelion starts kicking you really hard. Um, chaga doesn't have anything like that. It's, it's nothing at all to do with anything like that. So very safe. And, in fact, medicinal mushrooms are safer than food. They're safer than food. We sometimes forget how toxic food can be or how toxic food is. And that's one of the reasons why over the years, going out there and educating people on raw food diets and everybody's going out there and doing wheatgrass animals and everybody's throwing up because they smell people mowing their lawn. Yeah, I just had to realize i got to get for the people that they're out there, but like the masses of people, we got to get something that's gentle and that works immunologically. And, yes, the raw food is great for cleansing and detoxifying your body, flushing your body, and giving you a simple and natural and authentic type of food to eat. But it, it's not a shot of mushroom. Tomato, lettuce, apple, pear, cucumber, and orange are not at the depth of information and minerals and trace minerals and medicine is what chaga mushroom is. Okay, now the story on chaga gets even more interesting when I start cross-referencing this idea that chaga is considered in Siberian shamanism to be the king of all mushrooms, not just the king of the medicinal mushrooms, the king of all mushrooms. And I started wondering about that, saying, whoa, the mushroom kingdom is the wild west of botany. There is an estimated 29,000 species of mushrooms just in Appalachia that are unnamed. So this is where we're going to be going in the future. Everybody's going to have to get into mushroom research because everything else has been found and named pretty much. Right? We've pretty much got all the insects, all the plants, all the mammals, all the amphibians. So let's do a little poll. Who is familiar with medicinal mushrooms, let's see if we can get a, get a number here, percentage. Okay, cast your vote for a minute here. I'm seeing that 76 percent have voted, so give another five seconds or so.
angle on what kind of other organisms are involved with chaga is that my neighbors were drinking chaga tea. And they had a very interesting thing happen, and they live right off the land. So they basically use composting toilets. So you go with number two in a composting toilet, in that case, they filled with sawdust. And then you churn the sawdust through, and the material drops through um, a set of gears to a bottom basin. And then that's where the material stays until you go to throw it out in, in the garden or whatever you do with your waste um, when you live like that. Anyway, from drinking shaga tea that had been boiled, they immediately noticed that there was something coming through that was living. And it was forming filaments like horsehair in their composting toilet so fast that you couldn't run the waste through the gear system. It became too hard, too thick, too wiry, too fast. So something was surviving from being boiled. So you'd think you're going to take like a shaga tea. Let's say I don't really recommend boiling it, but let's say you did, and you boil it, and then you drink it. You think there's no way anything could survive of that. It's impossible, right? Wrong. Actually, there's a whole class of organisms that live in the earth and to some degree also on the earth called the archaea that have been, that have been now genetically mapped. And they were uh, mapped out by a gentleman that I first became aware of in a great book written by a guy named David Wolf. But it's not me. It's some other David Wolf. So I was checking up on North Atlantic Books, my publisher, to see if my stuff was actually on Kindle and on Electron ebook format. And I saw there's this other author out there by the name of David Wolf. So I thought, man, this looks like a good book that David Wolf has written. I better get it. So I check out this book. It's called Tales from the Underground. And he talks about the discovery of the archaea and what it means. They're extremophile organisms. They can survive anything. They're unbelievably strong. We will never be able to destroy them. They're part of this earth. They're in the earth. They're miles within the earth. There could be a nuclear explosion on the earth and the earth could be destroyed on the outer surface and the archaea would still continue to live on the, in the inner bowels of the earth. That's really amazing. So I suspect that one, at least one of these symbiotic organisms that's living with Chaga is actually an archaea. And that, that's not too far-fetched because something similar to that has been found with cordyceps. So not to belabor that point too much, what I wanted to get to is that Chaga, because it's king, has many, many different kinds of angles of what it can do. Not only can it be a cold center, not only can it be used as a tea or a medicine internally, it can be used externally. It can also be used, you can carve out the middle and make a drum out of it. It's, it's absolutely a, almost like a, a world-class, first-class um, snack when you dry it like popcorn. So, for example, if you shave the little black parts off the outside, and I have a wood-burning stove in my house, and you can see that on the back cover of the Shaga book, you see my wood-burning stove. And right where those Shagas are, by the way, on the back cover of my book, and if you have it right in your hand right now, I put the little pieces of the black material that I just kind of shave off the, of the Shaga, and then dry it on my wood-burning stove, and then throw it in a bag, and then just kind of chew on that. And it's, it's like popcorn. It's just it's outrageous. And it's medicine. You can feel the betulin. You can feel the betulinic acid and the lupiol in it. And again, if, if you've been following what I'm saying, that's where the real anti-mutagens are. This is a food that we need for today. And the reason why we need it is because of the amount of mutagens that we've dumped into the environment. I, I referenced earlier about this idea that the mushrooms suck up mutagens. They suck up radiation. And there's a historical idea here that has been turned around in mycological circles for hundreds of years. And that's the idea that mushrooms aren't from here. That they come in here to help life get going, to help build forests up, to trade with plants and get energy for minerals. The mushroom gives the mineral over to the plant, the plant has the soil fill up in the sky, so they pass down its sugar and they give that energy to the mushroom. There's a little bit of a symbiotic relationship between mushrooms and plants. Anyway, the mushroom from outer space idea definitely is something that comes up when you've been playing around with Shaga. Um, Jing energy, which is black energy, is mostly what you see when you go out in the night sky. It's all black, but most of it's black. That's the primordial essence. That's the longevity, actually, the longevity principle of the universe, according to Dow's Atomic Herbalism. 
on this planet, instead of being um, all black and with a little bit of dark, we see the opposite. We see everything is all colored, with a little bit of black that sticks out here and there. Again, that's the yin idea, which is a, kind of a symbol telling us, giving us a little bit of a clue. The cosmic principle of mushrooms that come out of space is essentially this idea that the mushroom's goal is to develop forests, because what it's trying to do is get all that levitational material out of the earth. And we're so brainwashed by science, we don't even realize that a tree has levitated itself up, in the case of a redwood, hundreds of feet into the air. Uh, there's actually some um, eucalyptus here in this county where I'm at that are actually almost 300 feet tall. How in the world is that stuff falling upwards like that? It's falling upwards. Gravity is displaced. It can never fight gravity. A tree can never fight gravity. Once it fights gravity, it's dead. So there's a, there's a principle of nature that we're missing. And that principle is storing and concentrating levitational substances in trees, which are the most levitational types of materials, right? The way that sap rises in a tree and falls and rises and falls. It's still a confounding mystery. I've read all the books I can read on that subject, and they all conflict with each other. And when you get right down to it, nobody really knows how sap rises in a tree. You, you get stories, well, it's the pressure, it's the suction, it's this and that. But the, the temperatures of the tree don't, don't obviate that. They don't indicate that that's correct. Anyway, what the mushroom's doing is he's trying to get all this levitational material out of the earth, concentrate it in trees, then switch from a ground mushroom, and this is put this distinction out there, ground mushrooms, like the ones that come up in your lawn, could be totally deadly could be dangerously toxic. Tree mushrooms are medicinal. That's an interesting distinction. Tree mushrooms are medicinal. And there's only one exception to this exception to every rule, which is the jack-o'-lantern. The jack-o'-lantern is a glow-in-the-dark tree mushroom, which is toxic. Um, but all of the tree mushrooms are medicinal, which tells us something about trees and forests and what happens when we lose our forests. At any rate, once that levitational material has been concentrated by the tree, the mushroom then eats that. It wants to eat that. It concentrates it into its pores. And then during a highly energetic event, which maybe happens once in a few minutes each year, which I've observed before, which is a trip to see, a polypore or a tree mushroom, that's what they're called, they're called polypores, will squirt out or spew out its pores, and they float up into the air like smoke. They go up because they're levitational. And through the Coriolis forces, through the way that the winds move to the upper atmosphere, some of those mushroom spores, which are as electron-dense as a metal, can get up and get, actually get out of the atmosphere, obviously wanting to fall into the sun. Like the tree is really trying to fall into the sun. And, and some of them miss the sun and get slingshot out into the furthest reaches of our solar system and then off into the galaxy. And so the Earth is producing biological material that can survive in vacuum in space. And I had to put all that research into this book, so it's in there in case you are um, wanting to do a little research on that yourself, because I think that is an absolutely incredible idea, that instead of this dead universe idea that we've been fed by Carl Sagan and Cosmos and all that nonsense, how about a living universe? So this living spore material actually out in the ethers, or out, it's out in outer space, that is traveling from planet to planet, bringing you information, and basically, this is the key idea, allying itself to life. Shaga is an ally to life. It's your ally. It's your friend. Shaga is a friend to all life. You think, okay, you know, maybe I could take Shaga, powder it up, feed it to my dog, can't do anything to my dog. Absolutely you can. Feed it to my cat. Sure, it'd be great for your cat. Completely non-toxic. It's an amazing thing in that regard. It doesn't smell at all like a mushroom, too, and that's also very interesting. So some people do have mushroom allergies. But that mushroom allergy is always associated with the particular odor of the mushroom. It, that, that mushroomy flavor and odor that we all detect. Shaga doesn't have that. Okay. Now, I've gone through a, a very long run on the history, legends, lore, and a little bit of science of Shaga. There is a, another thing I wanted to say here, and that's the recipes. Um, I put in this book a lot of unique recipes. Basically, from the mineral analysis of Shaga, as compared to cacao, they're a perfect fit for each other. It's an amazing, perfect fit. When we did the mineral analysis of shaga, it was like 
hand in glove exactly what this house doesn't have, job that does have. And people stumble into that. It's an intuition. They just want to do chocolate drinks with Chaga as the base. And Chaga too, hot, is then becomes the basis for hot chocolate. So we put that whole thing in here about how to make hot Chaga chocolate. Say that three times backwards and out loud. Um, so that's, that's a big part of this book as well. And also how to take the Chaga to different directions. How to ferment it. You can ferment it in a gun culture, if you know what that means. Um, how to take it down in a tea how to use other parts of it. For example, when we make our shaga port, we'll just use whole raw shaga powder. Or it's actually a wild shaga cherry port. We'll use whole shaga powder as part of that port. I love that recipe, by the way. That's one of the first things we developed with shaga all these years ago. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about, or let's do a poll. Um, how do you like to consume your shaga? Who's doing it as tea? Who's doing it as extract tincture? Who's doing it as powder? Who's taking shaga medicines? And when we say medicines, we're talking about some of the encapsulated shaga products that are out there. So, David, we're going to move on to the Q&A in just a minute, so we can keep to the time here. We've got lots of questions. We actually have 23 questions. So we're looking good. Okay. Okay. So um, keeping in mind that not everybody in attendance has actually used Chaga, I'm going to end the poll in about five seconds. Okay. So looks like people are using it mostly as a tea, 61% as a tea. Okay, great. Now, people ask me when you fish the tea out, right, you throw it in tea, maybe tea, You've got little chunks in there that you can use. When you fish those out and dry them, what kind of alcohol do you use? And the answer is just use vodka because it's easy to remember and it's simple. And just throw it in there. That's the easiest way to deal with it. And then now you have a, a, what's called a chew, basically an alcohol with an herb mixed together. And then if you want to, you can dilute that down to be a tincture. Those instructions, by the way, are in the book. Exactly how to make those kinds of tinctures. But also, if you are somebody who likes to drink alcohol, now you're drinking, now you've got something else going on with the alcohol. This is the thing that's always blown my mind. I'm not a drinker, but it's always blown my mind how many people drink alcohol and don't get any medicine with it. But just throw some bigger herbs in there. And you're still getting alcohol, you still get that. But at least you get some medicinal back end benefits. Okay, let's just test these out. Anyway, we've got a lot of questions. Let's just fire right into it. Okay. So we have the first question from Catherine is, how many years does it take for the chaga to regrow? Should we be careful and responsible for the way we harvest it? The answer is yes, you should be careful and responsible. Out of 10 trees that are around my house where I harvested chaga off of and observed them over the years to see what happened, two of them died. Two of them died. I don't know if they died as a result of me taking the chaga off of them, but they did die, and I definitely took note of that. So it's possible that if you remove the shaga, it weakens the tree. I suspect that's true, because the shaga is a, is a prana concentrate. So if you see a real big shaga, you may not want to remove it all. Just take a chunk and leave the rest. We're going to move on to Esther's question, which is, I would like to know if there's anything else growing on a birch tree that I might mistake for chaga. I'm pretty sure I have found it, but need to check that it's not anything else. It's black outside and orange inside, and looking at the photos on David's book, I'm pretty sure that that's what I have. It could be a chaga. It could also be a Felinus. Um, the Felinus genus of mushrooms has very powerful anti-mutagenic properties as well, and is very powerful adjunct with chaga, so they go well together. And I've seen them growing on the same tree. In fact, I put a picture of that in, in the chaga book. Um, the way you tell the difference is that the, the polinus is like all other medicinal mushrooms. It has a bottom. It has a porous surface, where chaga is not really a fruiting body with a porous surface on the bottom. It's actually a permeated mycelium, which that's another very bizarre thing about chaga. Every other medicinal mushroom that grows on a tree has a, a top and a bottom, except for shaga, which, which is basically the part that normally you would have in this tree. 
all the mushrooms we've picked over the last several thousand years have been, for the most part, fruiting bodies, with the exception of Jaga. Okay, and this question is from Ben. He says, do you feel that any beneficial properties of Jaga would be lost if it were steeped and then used in baking, so Jaga bread, or maybe at least used as water for some Jaga oatmeal? Me personally, no. No, Jaga is too powerful. It can survive being boiled. I mean, it's like it's space food, it's cosmic food. And um, the answer is, yeah, use it. And if you're going to bake something, use Jaga in it, absolutely. Because Jaga is like a flour. When you press it to a powder, it's like a flour. And that's why we use it in our, in our Jaga, wild Jaga cherry port. So uh, this question from AJ might be my favorite of the day. I have to, I have to tell you. Is it true that you can smoke chaga for benefits? How would you go about doing that, and is the experience worth it? Um, I've done it. <laughs> I heard you could do it. I did. You know what happened. Chaga um, <laughs> is a coal extender, so it's always been used to keep the fire going historically in the northern hemisphere of the earth. And therefore, the vapors of it have been breathed in and have somewhat of a little bit of a lore behind them that it says it's good for you. Um, the ignited cesium that is present in, in that vapor is probably very good for you to breathe in, actually. And if, you definitely don't want to breathe in the cesium that's coming over here from Fukushima that's radioactive, and one displaces the other, by the way. So if you have enough chaga in your system, you won't absorb any radioactive cesium, just like if you have enough iodine in your system, you won't absorb radioactive iodine. Okay, so uh, here's a really great question from, I think it's Jorgen. Uh, when you take other mushrooms like reishi and shiitake into consideration, should I forget these and just go for chaga, or is it wise to also add these to my diet? I think it's wise to add all the medicinal mushrooms to your diet, the top 24 to 25 medicinal mushrooms, which for the most part are tree mushrooms. There's the Gericus glazii, which is the ground mushroom that's considered one of the great medicinal mushrooms. There's cordyceps, which is a, a, an organism that eats the worms just under the glaciers in the Himalayas. Um, but for the most part, all the other ones are tree mushrooms. So I like having the full gamut. However, it's always based around Jaga and Rishi. Excellent. So I think this is Jeannie asks, where is the best place online to order a powder from uh, not capsule? So she says Amazon sells it. Am I safe buying it from Amazon? Amazon, I don't, know, I don't even, I don't even use Amazon, so I really don't know. So I can't answer that question. But the best powder that I've been able to track down, I actually put it up on Longevity Warehouse. I actually saw it up this week. It's the 100 gram of wild chaga extract powder. So it looks like chili juice. It's like a black, brownish material, very fine and beautiful taste, and it's amazing stuff. So that's that's what I'd recommend is a powder like that. And that's just smoothie fodder, or you just throw it into stuff, and it's easy, easy, easy to mix it into things. We did it yesterday, actually, on our drive. We, we pulled over to a French place, and we had no raw ingredients whatsoever. But somehow we just kind of put it together, and we were able to get some chocolate in there. And it's amazing, just that flavor, the intensity of it, just was totally mitigated, just totally smoothed over in that drink. So we touched on this a little bit before, but um, just to elaborate a bit, uh, Tristan asks, is there a concern with over-harvesting as more of us begin to consume chaga? What, if any, sustainability efforts are underway to ensure a steady supply? Great. There is a concern over, of over-harvesting in certain areas. Um, the Ministry of Resources in Ontario, Canada, actually clear-cuts birch every day of the week. They're mowing down 100 times more chaga than people are picking. So I just want people to keep that in mind. If there's chaga being mowed down, because birch is a pioneer plant, it's a nitrogen fixer. And you've seen that before, where there's places where the forest has been damaged, birch will come in and, and repair it and make the way for the other trees to make it in over the next 100 years right behind it. And in certain areas where the ministry doesn't want that, they clear cut it. So every 20 years, they clear cut it, get rid of it. And, and there's chagas in there. So, it's, you know, everything is context-related. I like the idea of being very, very careful with these types of things, just like ginseng. But at the same time, they're being mowed down right now. So I want 
chaga traditionally used by Siberian shamans? This is from Michael. It was used as a key. Um, it was used as food. It was used as a coal extender, so it was to control fire. It was used uh, to make rum. Um, it was used as a clothing dye agent. So, for example, you could make a tea of it and then put all your clothes in it and then dye it with chaga and then pull them out and dry them. I've done that, and that's amazing. Um, so, chaga also has this interesting relationship with Amanita, Amanita cantharina and Amanita muscaria, which for those um, entheonauts in the listening audience right now, chaga is king. And I put this in the book just for those people who could read into that. I've also put stuff like that in naked chocolate. Um, Saga is a king, and it tells the joker what to do as a gesture. And Amanitas are like a gesture. So if you like your your local friendly um, mushrooms that grow in your forest, and you're worried that they're going to give you too many psychoactive effects, or you're going to go too far with them, then Saga mitigates it. Just to give you that, just to clarify what I'm saying while I'm speaking in tongues. Amanita muscaria and Amanita cantharina are magic mushrooms that grow in the boreal forest of the temperate region of the whole world. And they grow where chaga grows. And chaga and Amanitas have some kind of a relationship with each other. Siberian shamans were definitely onto that, no question about that. And if you're deep into the lore of Amanitas, you'll know that the whole story of Santa Claus and the reindeer and the elves and the toys and that whole thing all comes from Amanita. It comes from the magic mushroom. Some of that magic mushroom it has very toxic side effects, and that's what the saga mitigates. Okay, so um, I'm going to combine two questions for time. We have just two minutes left here. Um, Brenda and Marissa asked about tea. So they want to know, how do I drink the black chaga residue after steeping it in vodka? Do I leave jar open to evaporate the alcohol from the mixture? And then also Brenda had asked about um, the best way to drink the tea for tumor healing properties. Okay, the, the, you're always best off. And by the way, the whole um, cancer-fighting diet and tumor-fighting diet is in the book, um, up, up to date. You want, both, you want both fractions of the chaga for sure, both, not just one. Um, so it's the tea, that's where you're going to get your polysaccharides, that's where you're going to get your beta-glucans, that's where you're going to get that food for your immune system. It's also really powerful antioxidants and the melanin and everything is in that water-soluble fraction. Then you're going to get the luteol and the betulinic acid and the betulin and the inosodiols and the lanosterones and the um, sterols. Those are all alcohol-soluble, and those have very powerful antiviral, anti-tumor, anti-metastatic agents in them. And so chaga is the best single adjunctive thing, period, of anything to a, a cancer-fighting protocol. Um, whether you're on the Western approach or whether you're on an alternative approach or whatever you're doing, um, you should look at adding chaga in as, as a part of your protocol based on all the evidence, which is pretty, pretty substantial, and I think I summarized that pretty well in my book. Okay, I think I missed part of that question. What was, what was the rest of that question? Thank you. I think you covered it. We were talking about the tumor. Brenda had asked about the tumor um, steeping qualities, like what you can do with oh, that. No, and with the, with the boiling off the, the, the alcohol. Okay, right. so if, if what you do there is if you cannot stomach any alcohol in your body, you can't do tinctures or anything, then you just take your alcohol um, chaga, let's say it's been in there for a year within the vodka, then you, you're going to add a little bit to your tea, and the, the alcohol has a lower boiling point than water, so it will matriculate to the top of the, of the tea and boil off at a lower temperature. So you can actually get the residue medicines that were extracted by the alcohol falling into your tea. So you can get both fractions into the tea. Okay, so um, I'm going to combine a couple more questions for our very last question. Um, people want to know where they can find chaga. So we had a few questions about where can you find it, um, if you want to buy it, and what the best is, what best, or where to start if it's your first time using chaga. What's the best thing that you would recommend for someone who's a first-time chaga user? I, I'd recommend two things for beginners. One is chaga mycelium, which is 
really great because it doesn't actually come from a wild environment. It's a laboratory-grown mushroom, just like most of the leafy products in healthy stores are grown that way. Cordyceps is all grown that way, unless you go into the real expensive, real worm stuff. Um, it's called mycelium. So that's a great way to do it because it's, you can just eat it. It's like, tastes delicious. And um, then the wild stuff that you would see is really, really great. And in fact, it will become the dominant food in your life. It's that good. It just drives everything else away. I mean, you'll still probably like your gynecemity or maybe your green peas here and there. But chaga seed is just extraordinary, extraordinarily good. And you need the wild chunks in order to actually make the tea. So that's what you want to look for, wild chunks. Now, where to go? There's all kinds of resources out there. Um, I make the chaga products that, that I make, actually, or um, the connections that I have in the chaga world. That all channels through longevitywarehouse.com. That's not my business. It's owned by a friend of mine, but we work together, and they help me, and I support them. So that's a great business, and I, I love what they're doing. Okay. Well, you know what? I have one more question that somebody wants us to ask, and I, I know I said we had one more. This will be the last one. <laughs> but Mikel um, yeah. wanted to know about oil extracts in Chaga. Um, what can you say about that? Okay. Alcohol-soluble, the alcohol-soluble fraction usually pulls out the oil-soluble fraction. So if, you're, if you want to do like an oil extract, which I've done a lot and I talk about it in there, and skip the alcohol, you can get a similar type of fraction out, but it, you're not going to cover the surface area. It's not going to have the drawing power as the alcohol. So, for example, um, I'll take a, a chunk of wild chaga, crush it to a powder, throw it in cacao butter, um, heat the cacao butter in a double boiler system, and allow that heat to extract into the cacao butter. You can't boil the cacao butter. You can't get it hot enough to, you know, damage the oil. And um, what you do then is you then, when you're, say, let's say you do that for two hours or four hours or eight hours, however long you can do it, depending on, on the setup you have at home, then you can then cool that butter down, say the cacao butter, with the chaga chunks in it that have been extracted, and then you can just add that to smoothies later because it will harden at room temperature, and you've gotten, you've liberated some of that alcohol-soluble fraction um, via using oil. Now, that, that to me, by the way, is my feeling as to where the game is. And there's strong evidence that that's true now. After I said that about a year ago, and then I did a whole bunch of research in the final run up to this book um, that indicates that the jing essence is in the alcohol-soluble fraction or fat-soluble fraction of the chaga. Okay. Well, this concludes our webinar for today. Guys, if you have any further questions, if you want to discuss this further, um, check out the link that's here on my screen for the forums in the Nourish community. Um, and the link right there, you can click on it and that will take you to it. Or you can just go to forums in the nav bar on nav community. We will continue having this conversation. We will have people here um, in our office at North Atlantic Books who will be monitoring the forums. So. If you have any questions, you can send those directly to David. Um, and he's a busy guy, but if he has some time, I know he'll go and check it out as well. Um, David, thanks so much for doing this today. This was great. It was fun. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Really, really enjoyed it. And enjoy your photography and have the best day ever. Absolutely. Thanks, David. And thanks, everybody, for joining. everybody for joining. So what I'm going to do here, I'm just going to take a minute and I'm going to copy these links. I'm going to put them on the chat board. The video URL. If I do this correctly, I don't know. Give it a shot here see what happens. Find out any more information about Shaga. Definitely um, bring it into our next show or um, send it to anybody in the private if they wish. So uh, thanks again for coming, everybody. And I um, hope you have a great day. And if you uh, need any more information, just give me a hoot and uh, I'll get in touch with the other. Okay, take care. Healthy living. Bye-bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.